when you teach leadership to your graduate students or to at the university, what is the basic definition? What is leadership from your perspective? And I think we need to differentiate the leader from the quality of leadership. What is leadership? I'm challenging you probably with something you've done for a combined 70 years here, perhaps, but for our audience, how would you define what leadership is? Steve, I'll let you go first. On that. <laughs> and I was thinking of Ralph Stockdale, who's a famous researcher who said, as many definitions of leadership as a, a people studying leadership. <laughs> in my own career, I think I've wrestled with three or four different definitions. Ron and I probably agree that it, at its core, it's social influence. Whenever I teach about leadership at a basic level or I'm giving workshops about leadership, I will start off by saying the, the basic fundamentals or the functions of leadership is to provide direction and manage others around that particular direction. I think about it as goal-directed social influence that instigates a collective action. So it really comes down to either providing a direction or facilitating a direction emerging from a collective so that people uh, that there's agreement on that, and then orchestrating how that direction or that goal is going to be accomplished. Now, it's a very functional view of leadership, but it just incorporates so many other things that we talk about. When people ask me, I said, if you want a place to start, start with those two functions and we can go from there. I'll be specific because I'm in the midst of working on a book right now and two books, one of them as a leadership chapter, and this idea comes through. So I completely agree with Steve that it's, it's a process of social influence, probably because we share a similar mindset. But of course, that takes leadership at the level of you know human interaction. It's not leadership of an enterprise or leadership of an organization. That's a little different. But the definition that I'm using relies on Joseph Ross. I don't know if you remember him, Stephen. He had a book some years ago, Leadership for the 21st Century. But he defines leadership as an influence relationship among leaders and followers who seek to realize a shared purpose. And again, embedded in that definition are a number of important things where there is reference to leaders and followers, not just the leader, which highlights the kind of interdependence that exists between these two entities. I think it's foolish to define leadership only about what the leader does, the purpose of the engagement, and the people who are being led. Steve may have taught me this, where you ask the class, like, what's the most important thing a leader must have? And, you know, you get all kinds of answers. Of course, the answer is they have to have followers or else they're not leaders, right? They're just standing out front, wandering around. So the definition that includes an influence relationship among leaders and followers that seek to realize a shared purpose, you know, includes the importance of vision, the fact that it's shared, meaning that the followers have bought in. They're highlighted as a key active participant in the influence relationship. So they could have as much influence on the leader as the other way around, right? So for me personally, that is about as close to, you know, the best definition or the definition that's most consistent with my own view right there. We're both emphasizing the goal directed or purpose, but implicit in there, and this kind of thing operates at all levels, at the top of organizations, at the top of nations, all the way down to a project team. You're providing direction and you're orchestrating or managing that. But the relational aspects are critical. Leadership happens in a system, followers and leaders and networks. And it's not static, the relationship. 
I think this is one of the things that recently leadership researchers have been really been thinking a lot about is that the dynamics of the leadership relationship can change so that maybe you are formally a leader and there are formal followers, right, in a reporting relationship, but informally over the course of a project, over the course of an episode of things happening. So followers, so-called followers can engage in leadership activities. Different leaders can step forward at different points. So leadership is much more complex. It's certainly more complex than just the individual leader. You have leader and follower, but even that relationship could change. There's a number of really smart leadership researchers who are diving into this phenomenon over the last decade or so. That's fascinating because it paints a portrait much more complex. Some early literature about, you know, are leaders born or they are made? You know, you probably are working with your students on that. And what would you have to say to our audience this time to look at the person of the leader? And it can be a situational leader. It can be a leader that is a leader for a few days before passing that on. Can we make leaders? Can we develop leaders? Or there is some traits? I may be saying a word that is not very welcome in the literature these days. Are there some traits that define a leader? That's where my work in leadership started. My first paper was titled An Estimate of Leadership Variance Due to Traits. And we were using that word at a time when, no, it wasn't welcome. I will hasten to add that traits are certainly part of the leadership conversation since then. We certainly talk about traits. We talk about uh, stable dispositions of the person that contribute to leadership. When someone asks me, it's a common question I get, are leaders born or made? And I say both. You are born with a temperament. And there's a lot of research that supports the genetic temperamental basis for leadership. You're born with an orientation toward leadership, whether it's in a motivation or a value, somewhat of an orientation. Your experiences, your development, starting in childhood, which is some of the things I'm investigating now, shape that, move it more toward a direction of leadership and others. You know, Ron, you talked about your early experiences as a leader. I mean, that shaped your orient. I, I believe you were oriented that in the beginning. So uh, leaders born and made is both. There are people who do not have a temperament. They don't want to be a leader. They may have some of the skills, but they don't have that fundamental motivation to drive to be a leader. So it's always a more complex question. And traits matter. We've known that now, but it's much more complex than that. And I think it's hard to pin it down to traditional traits. You know, that was my first aha moment. And when I was doing research, we actually were looking at the situational approach. We looked at studies that manipulated the situation changing the membership of the team, changing what the team had to do. And the assumption was that when you did that, a different person would emerge as leader for that situation. And to my surprise, going way back to what the major way of thinking was at that time, the same person emerged across these different situations. How do you explain that? Because traits mean you behave in consistent ways across different situations. And what I zeroed in on, Early on, and I keep coming back to that idea 40 years later, is that the attributes or traits that are important for leadership are those that foster that ability to change as the situation requires. The ability to recognize when change is necessary, to be agile and flexible in how you respond. I think that's what the great leaders do. But that's not the traditional trait that says you're an extrovert, so you're going to be extroverted across different situations. Uh, It says, I know how I can change my response to different situations. So for me, that created a much more complex view of traits and situations and how they work together 
and how leadership happens. How wonderfully subtle those distinctions are. I like that very much. The notion of adaptability being embedded already in what the leader does and therefore be able to move from situation to situation and still be a leader is very... And I will point out that many of the constructs we've been studying over the last couple of decades now, emotional intelligence, political savvy, organizational savvy, adaptability, social intelligence, they all have that at their core. The idea that you look at a situation, you recognize what may be needed, and you are able to adjust your response to that. So to me, that's what ought to be driving the the discussion and and traits and so forth. Ron, do you want to add to that again about... I mean, it's brilliant. He's right where I think we need to be as a field. You know, it's a little unsatisfying in some ways for some people, particularly when they want a prescription, like how should I lead and what should I be doing, right? Or what should my style be? So it's unsatisfying to suggest, well, you need to be adaptable and flexible and you know, attentive to the demands of the situation. But that's really the reality of it. In terms of whether leaders are born or made, I'll turn it back to you. Are musicians born or made? Are artists born or made? I mean, there's some artists who have a natural inclination and a vision and a way of portraying you know, their reality. That's fantastic and wonderful. And others who learn learn the proper techniques all along the way and are effective and functional and you know develop beautiful art. So if leadership is an art, then there are people who have a natural instinct for it. But certainly you can learn all the things that uh, are worthwhile. If you're with me on stories here, I want to pick up on something that Steve said. An aha moment for me, I know that was something that we said we'd get to at one point, was an interview I watched with Mike Krzyzewski, who's the coach of the Duke Blue Devils uh, college basketball team. You may know him. I want to say this interview had to be maybe 10 or 15 years ago. He's being interviewed about his season and they maybe they just won the championship and they're talking about how he goes about practice. You can tell the reporters trying to under, like get behind the curtain. Like, what is he doing? Like, why is he so successful? And one of the questions is, how are you going to coach this year's team? What's your plans for coaching this year's team? And he said, well, I don't know yet. And the reporter's like, what do you mean you don't know yet? He's like, well, I don't know what kind of team I have. I don't know how gritty they are. I don't know how cohesive they are. We've just recruited you know, some high-profile freshmen. I'm not sure how well they'll play. I don't know how they'll adapt to our system. And so not sure how I'm going to lead yet until I see what I've got. And then I'll know how I have to lead. And I was like, wow, that's brilliant. because." Here's one of the, you know, the we hold him up like a hero as one of the great leaders. And he's admitting straight away, like, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do. I just have to kind of adapt to how this situation presents itself. And I'll make my choice, you know, from that point forward. And, I, and that was an aha moment for me. And it highlights, I think, the interaction and the interdependence that exists between a leader's instinct or natural preference and style and what the team or those being led, you know, allow to happen, if that makes sense. That's a wonderful story about this ability to adapt in this case to the, not just to the particular skills of basketball, technical skills of your follower, but also to the team interaction and the kind of team he's going to have there. 